Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. Morning, church. It is so good to see you all today. My name's Pete. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, really glad that you're here. I want to welcome you, especially if you're new or a visitor. This is a big day for us. I even dressed up. I uh, got this fancy coat on. Just need to return it by noon tomorrow, or they charge me extra. So... Uh, a little tight in here. Glad everybody found a seat. Uh, quick shout out to everybody out on the, uh, in the tent, in the overflow out there, in the smoking section. Glad you guys are here, and um, it's, uh, it's good to be together. One of the things that makes Christianity unique amongst other religions is that the foundation of our faith isn't a set of morals to live by or a level of spirituality to attain. The foundation of our faith is a historical event. We believe that something actually happened in human history that changed the world forever. And of course, that event is the resurrection of Jesus. Um, The Bible has four distinct accounts that tell us what happened on the first Easter. And this morning, we're looking at the version that's found in the Gospel of Matthew. So here's how he sets up the story in Matthew 28. After Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So that's the setting. It's dawn on the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning, and the sun is rising. By the way, I'm glad you guys are here at the 930 service, but the real Christians were here at the 8 a.m., obviously. (laughs) So at least you're better than all those 11 o'clock slackers. So well done. It's dawn on the first day of the week, and two of Jesus' disciples have come to the place where he was buried to visit his tomb. And these two disciples, we're told, are Mary Magdalene and another woman by the name of Mary. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning considering these women. 
These are the first two people who bear witness to the most important event in human history. And so their story is worth paying attention to. So who are these two women? Um, Even if you're somebody who has been reading the Bible your entire life, I'm guessing you still get confused by all the Marys in the Bible, right? There are lots of Marys, particularly in the Gospels. In fact, if we looked at all the Gospel accounts together, we're told that of the six women who visited Jesus' tomb, four of them were named Mary, okay? So it's confusing, but what we need to know is that Mary was by far the most common name uh, for women back then. In fact, about one out of every four women in first century Palestine were named Mary. Um, It's still the most popular female name in the world today, Mary Maria. I'm not really sure why, there's something about Mary. So (laughs) which Marys, Which Marys are we talking about here? Let me uh, break down the four Marys in the Gospels real quick. Mary number one. This is the most famous Mary, of course. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, who conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave birth to the Son of God. Uh, We know her, of course, from the Christmas story, but um, all throughout Jesus' life and ministry, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. She's there when he does his first miracle of turning water into wine. She's there. Um, at Golgotha, when Jesus breathes his final breath. And so after the birth narratives, pretty much any time the gospel writers mention this Mary, they refer to her as Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that's Mary number one. Mary number two, this is Mary Magdalene, probably the second most famous Mary after uh, the Virgin Mary. And we know her from the Da Vinci Code and other conspiracy theories. Um, And we'll come back to that later, actually, and talk more about her. Um, But for now, I just want you to know that Magdalene isn't her name. It's her place of origin. Um, Magdalene means she was from the town of Magdala. And uh, just like Jesus of Nazareth is called Nazarene, Mary of Magdala is called Magdalene. So now you know that. Next, we have Mary number three, who's often referred to simply as Mary. Um, This is Mary from the town of Bethany of Mary and Martha, the two sisters. And we looked at their story a few weeks ago when Jesus came to their home when their brother Lazarus had died. Jesus goes to be with Mary and Martha. And so um, this Mary is one of Jesus' most loyal followers, but also one of Jesus' closest friends. So that's Mary of Bethany. And then finally, we have Mary Fort, who the Bible refers to as the other Mary, which <laughs> you may remember uh, Bob Newhart. That's my brother, Daryl. That's my other brother, Daryl. It kind of, <laughs> kind of feels like that kind of thing. Um, the other Mary <laughs> is the wife of Clopas and the mother of James and Joseph. So There's also a good chance that this other Mary, see if you can follow this, other Mary is the sister of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would make the other Mary Jesus' aunt, um, which is likely who she is. You got it? All right. So we're ready for the quiz. Those are the four Marys in the Gospels. Now, which of the four Marys does Matthew tell us comes to visit Jesus' tomb that day? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Very good. Why is this a big deal? Well, again, this is a big deal because these are the first two people in history to witness the empty tomb and the risen Christ. 
which means that everything we know about that first Easter, everything, the earthquake, the stone rolled away, the angelic appearance, we know all of that because of the witness and testimony of these two women. They were actually there. And here's what strikes me about this. When we think about the first disciples of Jesus, his first followers, the, one who, the ones who literally followed in his footsteps, the ones who followed him to the cross and to the tomb, we typically would think about disciples like Peter, James, John. Now maybe I'm just telling on myself here, but I can also say pretty confidently that Jesus' male disciples have gotten a lot more attention over the years than Jesus' female disciples. And when we do talk about the women who followed Jesus in the Bible, we often have a picture of them that's more of a caricature. Yes, I keep thinking that says charcuterie. Caricature. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad Lent is over. <laughs> we have caricatures of these women that don't actually come from the Bible at all. So for example, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of us, when you think of Mary Magdalene, you associate her with the idea of a scandalous woman, maybe even a woman of the street. Does that sound kind of familiar? Yeah, for most of us, that is an idea that we have. Most artistic depictions over the centuries of Mary Magdalene have her looking something like this. Um, in one way or another, she's usually showing a little bit of skin, looking a little tousled. She's almost always cloaked in red, which is kind of the Renaissance equivalent of fishnet stockings, sort of an artistic clue that she's a certain kind of gal, right? And it's not just classical paintings, it's relatively recent pop cultural portrayals, portrayals as well. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, all of these depict Mary Magdalene as a lewd woman. Here's the thing. The Bible never says that. In fact, the Bible doesn't even hint at that. There is not a single place in the scripture that suggests Mary Magdalene might have been a sexually immoral woman. Nothing at all. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this same thing with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and all the assumptions that we make about her. And at least in that story, we're told that she's been married to a bunch of guys, and so we start asking questions. But with Mary Magdalene, there's literally nothing in the scriptures that would give us that idea about her. So where did that idea come from? There's probably a few different ways we can answer that. Um, one of them might have to do with our tendency to objectify and dehumanize women in the Bible. That might be worth something, something worth considering. With Mary Magdalene, we can actually trace her misrepresentation back to a certain point in church history, which is so interesting. So in the year 591 AD, Pope Gregory the Great was giving a sermon on a story from Luke chapter seven. And the text says that a sinful woman approached Jesus and anointed his, his feet. 
And in this sermon, Pope Gregory declared with his papal authority, she whom Luke calls the sinful woman, we believe to be the Mary from whom seven devils were ejected, which is a story in the Gospel of Mark. And so he's right. There's one thing we do know about Mary Magdalene from Scripture, and that is that at one point Jesus had delivered her from these seven evil spirits that had tormented her. We don't know much about what happened in that story, but... Uh, but we know that it happened. But in the sermon that Gregory the Great gives, he declares that the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 is actually Mary Magdalene. And from that point on, in the year 591 AD, Western Christianity has had this scandalous reputation of Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a lot about that whole thing that's pretty messed up, starting with the fact that Luke doesn't actually tell us what kind of sin the sinful woman was guilty of. Maybe it was sexual sin, or maybe she was just a Dave Matthews fan or something <laughs> terrible like that. You never know. There's all kinds of sins. But to their credit, the Catholic Church did eventually acknowledge that they got this wrong, and they officially changed their position on Mary Magdalene but not until, until the year 1969, 1,400 years later. Now, what's crazy is that's not the only rumor that's been spread about Magdalene. After the Catholic Church exonerated her and admitted that they were wrong about her being a sinful woman, a bunch of people took it and ran the other way. And so they dug up all these ancient texts and strung some clues together with yarn on their bulletin board and determined that Mary was actually Jesus' wife and the mother of his children, which of course is where the Da Vinci Code and other conspiracy theories come in. Um, and of course, none of that is in the Bible either. So if Mary Magdala wasn't a prostitute and she wasn't Jesus' secret wife, then who, who was she? Here's what we know. From the Gospels, we know that Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' most faithful and devout followers. After he set her free from these demons that tormented her, she devoted her life to following him and traveled with him and the 12 disciples throughout Galilee. We know from Luke chapter eight that Mary Magdalene was among the people who financially supported Jesus' ministry. So she was a woman of wealth and she was a woman of generosity who footed the bill so that Jesus and the men could quit their day jobs. And we also know that not only was she a witness to Jesus' life and ministry, Mary Magdalene was a witness of his crucifixion and death. Carla Zazueta, who's a Latina Bible scholar, reminds us that unlike most of Jesus' male disciples, Mary Magdalene was actually there that day. She writes, she saw him hang on the cross in agony. She listened to him scream out at God, abandoned and forsaken. She watched him give up his spirit and breathe his last. She felt the earth tremble and shake the moment he died, and she heard the Roman centurion exclaim, surely he was the son of God. Mary was there when Jesus died. She was there when he was buried, and she was there early on Sunday morning to discover the empty tomb. So back to our story. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to visit Jesus' tomb, and they find 
that it's empty. And there's an angel there sitting on the stone who tells them the good news that Jesus has risen just as he said, and he's waiting for them in Galilee. And so they take off running to find him, but Jesus finds them first. Verse 9 says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, which is an ancient Near Eastern way of saying, hi. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Mary Magdalene was the first person to whom Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead. After, he, after conquering sin and death and Satan and hell, Jesus is raised back to life, and who's the first person he goes looking for? Who's the first person he wants to see? It's not Peter or James or John. The first person Jesus finds is Mary from Magdala. That's how central she is to the story of Jesus and his resurrection. So just to summarize, it was the women who were there as witnesses to Jesus' teaching, funding his ministry, sharing in his grief on the cross, burying him in the ground, and visiting his tomb. That may not be the picture we have, but that is the story of the Bible. So Jesus appears to Mary and to the other Mary, and what do they do when they see him? Back to verse 9. They fall at his feet and worship him. This is the posture of someone who not only loves Jesus with everything she's got, but who also understands who he is and what he's just accomplished. Magdalene gets it. He's done it. Jesus has won. He has defeated death itself. Our greatest enemy, Jesus, has laid death in its grave. Mary was the first person in history to find out what Jesus had done, and the first thing she does is bows down and worships him. The second thing she does is goes and finds all the male disciples who are cowering in fear somewhere and announces to them the good news. And in so doing, she preaches the first Easter sermon ever. Because she knows that the resurrection of Jesus means the world has changed forever. There was a church historian and professor at Yale named Yaroslav Pelikan. That's a name nobody else has. And here's how he summarized an early Christian understanding of the significance of the resurrection. This is what the early church believed. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. What does it mean that if Christ has not risen, then nothing else matters? It seems a little extreme. Last summer, my neighbor had an extra ticket to the Nine Inch Nails concert at the amphitheater and asked if I wanted it. Any Nine Inch Nails fans? As a Christian, I don't really listen to them, but that's cool. Um, uh, it's like, sounds like fun. So I went, and at one point, they played this song called Heresy, and it has this big angsty chorus that goes, God is dead, and no one cares. 
And if there's a hell, I'll see you there. And I'm standing there as a pastor in this <laughs> crowd of 8,000 goth kids and metalheads who are all singing along with these dark heretical lyrics. And I'm kind of going, huh, maybe I shouldn't be here. But I just stay in it for a moment and kind of let it sink in. And then I start experiencing like this deep emotional resonance with this crowd that's singing this song. Like, obviously I don't believe that God is dead. I know that's not true. But I know what it feels like when that seems true. I know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I know what it's like to cry out with Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know God's not dead, but sometimes it feels like he is, like we're all alone here. And then there's another sense in which this song is true. And it's actually the same thing that Yaroslav Pelikan is saying. And that is that if Jesus is still in the grave, then God really is dead, and who cares? If Christ isn't risen, then nothing really matters. And if there's a hell, I'll see you there. It may sound a little dramatic, but that's the same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are to be most pitied. If Easter isn't true, if God is dead, then there isn't much hope. There's not much hope for my life or for yours. Certainly not much hope for the world. And for us as Christians, we're to be pitied more than anybody because we've bought in to this big joke. But if Easter is true, if Christ really is risen, if death really has been defeated, then no matter what happens in your life or in the world, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering, all the brokenness, all of it, is going to be redeemed. That God's gonna do for all of creation what he did when he raised his son Jesus from the grave, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. If Christ is risen, then what could matter more than that? Church, do you believe this? I'm sorry, church, do you believe this? There's a tradition on Easter Sunday where Christians renew their baptism vows. You know how sometimes a married couple will renew their wedding vows on their anniversary? Well, Easter is a time for Christians to renew our vows to God. And so I wanna invite you to do this with me today. We're gonna to renew our vows to God, rededicate our lives to Jesus, pledge our allegiance to Christ and to his kingdom. And so here's how we're gonna do it. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you a series of questions and you're gonna answer them together. The first three questions will lead us through the Apostles' Creed, an ancient affirmation of the Christian faith. And then the last six questions will be uh, an invitation to devote yourself 
to living as a follower of Jesus. So the words are going to be on the screen. My parts will be in white. Your parts will be on black. Let's stand together and renew our vows to God. And here's the thing. I want you to say it like you mean it. I want you to declare these truths like you believe them to be the world-changing truths that they are. You ready to do this? Okay, first question. Do you believe and trust in God the Father? I believe in God the Father, mighty, creator of heaven and earth. And do you believe and trust in God the Son? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. All right, so will you live as a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, seeking to be conformed to his image in all areas of life? By the grace of God, I will. And will you continue in the historic Christian faith, sharing in the worship and fellowship of Christ's church? By the grace of God, I will. And will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? By the grace of God, I will. And will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? By the grace of God, I will. Will you seek and serve Christ in all people, respecting the dignity of every human life? By the grace of God. And will you strive for justice and peace, honoring God in all his creation? By the grace of God, I will. Amen. Well done. I love you guys. Happy Easter. Calvin and the kids are going to lead us in one last song. Let's celebrate.